Hello, everybody. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show, the big show, the most critically acclaimed and important podcast that is filmed in our Junebug killing machine. At least I think it's Junebugs that we've been hitting about every 10 to 15 seconds as we're driving home. It's time for them to suicide because it's almost the end of June here. Yeah. Or, of course, it might be Japanese beetles. We've been having a Japanese beetle problem. Invasive's bad. I yeah, I don't want those things anywhere near my house. But Anyway, welcome to the show. We're not here to talk to you about June bugs or Japanese beetles or any other kind of pest. We're here to talk to you about, well, okay, maybe some other kind of pests. But we're talking about microscopic waterborne pests. And That's other right. nasty things you might find in your water. How to make your water not be nasty. Yeah. What started this is I saw a story on what's been going on in Venezuela. Yeah. And in, in case you haven't been following what's been going on in Venezuela, the government's kind of fallen all to pieces to the point where they can no longer supply basic services like, oh, running water. They just haven't repaired the uh, infrastructure enough. So the rich people in Venezuela are now getting together and drilling their own wells right there in the middle of the major city of Caracas. And it made me think, I wonder what the poor sods who can't afford to drill their own wells are doing. Some of them are, get water service for like three hours a week. And some of them have trucks come in that give them some potable water. And I bet that leaves a whole lot of people getting water out of ditches and surface streams and now as somebody who has lived in a situation where we got water we only got it two hours every other week and where trucks pulled in with potable water for months on end as somebody who's lived through that on a glorious island in the pacific that was undergoing a huge drought i'm here to tell you it's no good way to live it stinks. And there was no drilling for groundwater where we were because, one, we didn't own the land, and two, there's no groundwater there. It's an island, a volcanic island, and it just you yeah. don't get groundwater You there. drill really deep in a volcanic island, and the fluid that comes up is not water. So, there you go. So, if you have to get water from a surface stream, I could visualize that easily happening in a city. Because if city services fail, I think water is going to be the first thing that really bites people. Because people keep almost no water supplies. People in general keep almost no water supplies. And even preppers can't keep a whole bunch because, well, it's really heavy and it takes up a lot of space. So there's going to be a lot of people having to get water from very questionable sources. Right. And there are a lot of ways to purify water out there. A lot of them, though, are really suitable, best for wilderness kinds of situations. Like uh, when I go hiking, I carry a filtering water bottle that filters. It's a good one. It filters everything down to the size of viruses. When you're talking about sizes of stuff that you need to filter out, the biggest stuff is like silt, invisible particles. And that's really easy to get rid of. Even a good t-shirt strainer can get rid of a lot of it. But it's not that helpful. Because the water looks better, but it's not safe to drink at that point. It might be useful for a pre-filter before other methods, but you can't drink the stuff just out of 
putting it through a clean t-shirt. Well, let's be clear. It is useful to get the heaviest part of the sediments out because it keeps the rest of your process less gunky. Yeah. It I mean, if you're going to pour that into, say, for your Kelly kettle, you want at least amount of gunk in there as mm-hmm. you can get. And it's much more appealing. And it removes some of the microbes and things because they're stuck to little bits of mud. But still, it's in no way safe to drink after that. And then you got the particle filters that take out, in order of size, the biggest are the cysts, like worm cysts. And any of the filters on the market take those out reliably. Even a good uh, coffee filter will take those out. Then you go down to protists, like Giardia which are a real problem in a lot of wilderness areas, but they're also big and fairly easy to get rid of. It's a little single-celled organism with a nucleus that swims around in your guts and does terrible things to them. Go littler than that, you got bacteria. And bacteria cause a wide range of human diseases. Including cholera. And then you get really, really tiny, which are the viruses. A lot of the filters out there for camping and stuff take out things bacteria-sized and bigger, but they don't take out viruses. Which is okay if you're camping. Yeah, you're not likely to run into a whole lot of viruses out in the middle of the wilderness that are going to really affect humans. But if you're in a city and you're drawing... Oh, contaminated water, you're going to run into viruses. You got it's going hepatitis to be an issue. It's and be rotavirus an issue. and nor- norovirus. Uh, the thing they call cruise ship disease is, is a virus, and it's really easy to catch from contaminated water. There's a bunch of viral diseases that are likely to be in surface water in cities that you don't have to worry about when you're camping. So your standard camping filters, like some of the, like the life straws are famous for this. They'll take out bacteria, but they won't take out viruses. Now, some will. Some of the better camping filters, like some of the Katadin ones. Uh, well, the one we have, the the, the really good Katadin one. Yeah, the good, that will. The, uh, good expensive Katadin ones do. And the run-of-the-mill, really portable, lightest and smallest of the Katadins don't. Right. And that's about par for the course. you got to read the labels carefully and look at the sizes of these guys. The accompanying article here has a list of the various sizes of some of the filters and the sizes of the organisms and what they'll take out. So a good quality filter will take out viruses, and that's plus. And if you're... Out in the woods, that's basically what you got to worry about, is mostly the microbes. But then you move into the cities, and that water is landing on the streets, and it's washing off the buildings, and it's washing things that are coated in residues of smoke from all the combustion of mystery stuff that goes on, and you got industrial contaminants in there. you got two more major problems to deal with. Organic molecules, like gas and oil residues, and heavy metals, like mercury and lead, Great arsenic. Great Sammy Hagar song, one way ticket to heaven, <laughs> they call it heavy metal. Great song, great 
great animated movie too. Probably. Yeah. Okay, but that's not what you're talking about. I'm a fan of heavy metal when I'm listening to it. Yes. When I'm drinking it, not so much. Now, those of you who wouldn't, you know, Spice is a fifty-something woman, and you wouldn't think that uh, she's as much of a headbanger as she is. But man, she <laughs> likes it crunchy. I likes it crunchy. She likes it crunchy. I like it crunchy too. None of that mellow blah, blah, blah stuff. Quit whining and sing something already. Uh, keep the screaming to somewhat of a minimum. Yeah. You know, where you get melodic screaming is not so bad. When it's just... I like guys who can actually sing, not just growl at you, but crunchy is good. Right. But not heavy metal in your drinking water. No. Those will drive you insane. Right out. Literally. I've heard some... Fairly plausible theories. Mad as a hatter. Mercury poisoning, because they dealt with mercury a lot. Uh, Nero fiddled while Rome burned. He was drinking water that came out of lead-lined pipes. A lot of the upper-level Romans were lead-poisoned. It describes a lot of their physical symptoms and the fact that they were half-nuts. And mentally feeble in general. So, heavy metal's not your friend. Now, there's a lot... Of lead in our soil in this in the towns. Yeah, uh, some from the of old lead well, gas. Yeah, the old lead gas. The old lead gas was just really you know, it, and the fumes came out and they covered the place. And there's still uh, leftovers from the lead gas. Uh, and the lead paints. Lead paint. They're lead paints are kind of a weird deal because they're somewhat encapsulated. And really, the only way you can really get badly damaged by them is by eating the lead paint because it's so well encapsulated but it does cause a risk i mean it definitely is there's an environmental risk there we have uh, areas of our around our house our house originally was painted by or with lead paint that we don't use for human consumption any of the fruit that comes off it we'll we'll do uh, like uh, herbs and stuff but fruit bearing we just you probably it would probably be safe but we don't do it yeah, it's basically large quantities of greens where you start worrying about that. But if you get those lead paint residues and you mix the soil with solvents, like leakage from uh, somebody's storage containers, who knows when, Yes. then you can re-dissolve the paint residues and get a lot of lead in the soil. This is There's a technical word, uh, technical phrase for this. It's called a bad thing. Yeah. And out west, especially, you can have streams that look perfectly nice and good, but are contaminated by mine tailings. Oh, mine tailings. Mine and tailings those are nasty. heavy metal problems. Yeah, in fact, a lot of those clear, beautiful Colorado streams, you know, flow downhill from old lead, mi- or lead mines and, and uh, gold mines. Because lead mines and gold mines tend to come in the same areas. Yep. So, yeah. And silver. Silver often occurs with mercury residues so yeah you don't want any of those things filters don't take out uh particle filters don't take out any of the organic chemicals and they don't take out the uh, heavy metals either so you got to start thinking about other options for how to clean up your water same thing with the usual water purification tablets and the bleach treatments those are all about getting rid of the microbes and they do a good job of getting rid of the microbes. Killing them. Not removing them, but killing them. Yeah. And if they're dead, frankly, they're just calories. <laughs> not many calories, don't get me wrong, but they're 
biological molecules are just calories if you've prevented them from infecting you. Now, one of the one of the things that Stone Cold will work, and we'll want to link this in with the uh, with the uh, article that was going along with this is distillation. Yeah, distillation Stone Cold fixes the problem, but it's a lot of work. It takes a lot of energy to do both human energy and fire or electrical or some kind yeah. of heating energy. Uh, and she wrote an article about this just the other day, so we'll link that with you. Distillation is a it is a completely safe way of getting drinking water because there's nothing in it because it's it vaporized. Almost. 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 Close enough. There's a small number of organic molecules whose boiling points are really close to water that get vaporized with the water, but it's a tiny fraction of the available toxic chemicals. So, I just put that in for completeness' sake. Unless it's, it's an yeah, so excellent you, way, you should be in good shape. Unless you're drawing it from a hot spring with a lot of those uh, thermophiles in it. Those are actually harmless to people, so that's okay. <laughs> yeah, but you, you do live. have microbes in boiling water. If you have the right kind of microbes, but they don't cause disease in humans. They just make Yellowstone Park really ponds really pretty. They're really cool, too. They are. Fascinating little organisms, but, you know, they're uh, not a problem if they're in your water. The sulfur in the water there will make it highly unpleasant to you and potentially toxic, depending on what form it's in. So, yeah, if you're... If I was going to bug in in a city, I'd seriously think about getting a still set up. Because if you've got a good power source, setting up a still is a pain in the rear end the first time. Unless you just buy a moonshine still from somebody. And you can buy those online, yeah. But once you've got the still set up, it's not that much trouble to run. But it is very energy intensive. Right. Now, I will tell you, if you just want a simple... Easy to use, but energy expensive still. They are out there. They are designed for distilling um, alcohol, grain alcohol. Yeah, they call them um, moonshine stills. Well, some people do, yeah. The electric one I'm thinking of. And I don't remember the name, the guy's name who sells it, but he's one of the guys who works with Jack Spearco. He's on his team. He has a really nice, small, electric uh, still for making green alcohol. But a byproduct is it makes fantastic clean water. Yeah. It does use a lot of energy. It's electric, so there's that. But it makes fantastically clean water. You could just keep, you could just distill the water once and be done with it, whereas the Alcohol, you get to distill over and over and over again to make to increase the purity and the uh, uh, proof. And but you'll never water, get alcohol above 180 proof by distillation. No, you have to that add is stuff. The, that is the point where the boiling, the vapor pressures of the water and the alcohol equilibrate. Is it 95% alcohol, 5% water? Right. There's something you can, there's a ingredient that you can add to it that will take it on up to the... Yeah, it's a water absorber. Yeah, but 
but don't because a lot of that stuff is actually dehydrated with benzene, which is way more toxic than anything you start with. So you don't want, if you don't think you're going to nab some lovely lab 100% alcohol source and use that for your party juice, not that I ever met any med students who tried that, she lied. Uh, but you wouldn't you wouldn't want to do that because the benzene's a real toxicity right, problem. Right, but 95% is party still on, dude. Party yep. on, dude. That ought to, if we, it, ha- we had to lock ours up. Seriously, dude, if 95% does not get you there, <laughs> then you've got problems. Okay, you've got problems. The only people who need 100% are the people who are doing special chemical reactions where they can't have the water in there. And by chemical reactions, we're not talking about making orange scorchies or purple passion. No. <laughs> That's not no. what we're talking about. That chemical reaction is uh, not what we... Uh, not that I've ever known anybody make orange scorchies. He lied. He lied. <laughs> oh, so, I could tell you an orange scorchy story. <laughs> well, actually, I don't really, really remember it all that well. <laughs> i tell you the truth. I think she does. No, I wasn't there most of the night. I came home to find the aftermath of the orange scorchy story. <laughs> it was not pleasant. Which was mostly salty, spread out on a bed, asking me why the room kept spinning. And refusing to go anywhere near anything orange-colored that was drinkable for years. <laughs> Oh well, well. So uh, distillation right along. Yeah, distillation uh, leaves the heavy metals behind. There's a tiny fraction in the vapor, but tiny fractions are not what you're worried about. Uh, it leaves the heavy metals behind. You throw away the very first stuff to come off the uh, distillation, and you get rid of a lot of the organic chemicals that have lower boiling points than water. And then you keep everything in the middle, and you have a very nice purified water. Great job of getting rid of microbes. Uh, heavy metals are gone. Chemicals are gone almost. There's a, a little bit of those, but very, very little. I've, I'd feel perfectly safe drinking it, no matter what disgusting source I got it out of. In fact, it's probably safer to drink than your normal drinking water. It is not very tasty, however, because the salts add the taste and you, the oxygen adds yeah, you the can taste. Oxy- you can reoxygenate it. Salting, you know, putting salt in drinking water, you can, but... Yeah, you can put fact, a little bit look there, at the, shake look it up. At the, you pick up your bottles of water, bottled water from the store, one of the ingredients is probably going to be salt. It's not just water. Because they reoxygenate the stuff, which you can just basically do by well, shaking it. If they distill it, a lot of the bottled water they sell is really out of somebody's tap somewhere. I stick a fancy label on it. If you look at the the ones that is purified, though, yeah, purified, the purified water, yeah, they'll still have salt in it. Yeah, they add it back because people don't like to drink it otherwise. I've had perfectly pure water, tasted it, and it was very strange because you don't expect you think water's just wet until you taste water that is just wet, and then it's like, wow, there's something completely missing from this whole experience. Okay, now I want to talk about a totally different kind of of drinking water that we haven't we haven't talked about before, and I'm going to give you the plus side and the really watch outside for this. Now, if you have a um, in your house, you have a dehumidifier. Okay, the water coming off of that dehumidifier is incredibly clean. It's recondensed water vapor. Right. It's 
same basic process as distilling. Having said that, what happens is when it starts to collect, it goes into this collection thing. And this collection thing sits with water in it until it's full or until you empty it. And then you take it out and you empty it and you do it again and over and over and over again. That collection thing may well be nasty with all kinds of uh, organic life in it. Also, the the coils themselves where the vapor recondenses to drain out to be uh, discarded in the dehumidifier, those are not cleaned for human consumption if they're just trying to build a dehumidifier. Right. So they've got all kinds of solvents and stuff on the outside of them. So what you do if you want to reuse this water for human consumption is you take that and then you dump that through your Berkey or whatever filtration you have. And then you're going to have a very good source of water because you're not going to have any of the any of the uh, heavy metals or anything like that. Well, that'll take out the microbes. You won't have much in the way of heavy metals. It, That's what I'm you saying. might still have some organic molecules in there. But Berkey's, not after filtering it. Berkey's don't take out all those. Or, or whatever filter yeah. you're using. Now, carbon filters will adsorb a lot of organic molecules, so they really improve taste and color. But they don't absorb everything, and they don't absorb heavy metals very well. So the carbon filters that you use to clean up the water for your fish don't really reliably make the water safe for human consumption. Or those tap water filters that you use. Yeah, they're the same thing. They're taking water that's already potable and just removing particular components that people find objectionable in the taste, like the sulfides from the, uh, what do they call them? Sulfur wells. The name is escaping me, but groundwater is sulfur contaminated in a lot of places. Right, especially Southern Missouri. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Now, and also they take out, I don't know if it actually takes out the fluoride or not. Oh, yeah. Fluoride and chloride are effectively removed by carbon, which is one of the reasons they use them both for fish and for pre-treating stuff you're going to treat by reverse osmosis. Now, I'm telling you, we're not getting into the fluoride debate on 3BY. We're not doing it. You want to talk about a debate where people get... Dramatized. Really mad over it? Yeah, I'm not going there. Because, you know, here's the bottom line as far as I see it. There's lots of places on the Internet that you can debate <laughs> that one. There, there's not a shortage of places on the Internet where you can debate the and value of, of fluoridization, uh, fluoridization of water, fluoridinate, whatever you call it. And we would like to encourage you all to use those sources to get your debating on, because we ain't doing it here. Expect to convince exactly no one. That's your bottom line. Yes, I'm sure you have a great argument. Go over there and make it. Yeah, we're <laughs> not we're, we're not playing the we're game. Not going there. But yeah, it removes fluorides and chlorides. Okay. Uh, reverse osmosis, by the way, is an excellent way. To take everything nasty out of water and make it very safe to drink, but I don't really consider it a prepper option. No, we have a, we have we actually have a reverse osmosis system installed in our house. We finally just disconnected it. It was too much of a pain in the butt to keep running. 
It needed maintenance all the time. It was very expensive in water usage. Yes, it was and very energy the, inefficient. The dis- waste disposal system as well, and the membranes have a limited lifespan. No. They require serious pretreatment, or they're ruined even quicker. You have to run it through a carbon prefilter, for example. And then you have to clean all that stuff out. All the, I mean, it's a, it is a pain. But we got it for a fish tank. We got it for a good reason. We were in the process of installing. We never did actually get the the, the salt water thing going. We love to have salt water fish, which are a lot of work. Yeah, we <laughs> realized they would just die when we took off on vacation. So yeah, we, we wanted to do a, a lot reef. Then. That's what we. That was our goal was to do a reef. I love reefs. I'd still like to do a reef someday, but not. Well, yeah, when we're home more. Yeah, but not now. Yeah, so. Reverse osmosis makes great water, but I don't consider it a prepper thing because it's too fail-prone and too resource-intensive yeah, We took of a, stuff that's hard to get in an emergency situation. We took a really, really good reverse osmosis system and installed it, and I would say it worked about half the time because it just needed maintenance constantly. Yeah. So... so not really a proper thing. Yeah, not really a proper thing. Fire, now the water did you pure- see that sign? Firemen's Supper tonight. They're eating firemen. Why in the world would they I, be? I think the firemen are frying fish and selling you the fish. Oh. Well, that's not It's, it's a so local volunteer fire department. They can't eat the firemen, then their houses would burn down. That's not nearly such an exciting story. See? That one says fish fry. Oh. Yeah. And by fish fry here in Missouri, we mean catfish, because there's only one kind of fish you fry in Missouri. Just so you know, if you go to a fish now, fry, if you're if you're going to if you go out in your backyard, you could be a you could be a a, a crappie fry, which all crappie are really really good. You could be a bluegill fry, which or bass or bass could be bass, but it's probably still catfish. But mm-hmm. it's whatever you caught. But if you go to a commercial fish, fish fry. It's catfish. It's catfish, and they're, yeah. they're Mississippi River caught. Now, before you freak out... Or they're pond-raised aquaculture. Uh, I know where they get theirs from. Okay. Here, they're Mississippi River caught. That, that fisherman, yeah, he has he, he supplies the, the guy with the fish truck. He supplies yeah. all these people. Um, commercial fishermen, before you freak out, the cleanest section of the Mississippi River is between uh, Burlington, Iowa, and Quincy, Illinois. Which is where this guy fishes. Yeah, and so it's actually a very clean section of the river because there's just not very, very little. There's very, very little industrialization. And frankly, you know, you can say what you want about the government and the EPA. It is a lot cleaner than it used to be. Yeah. We can tell that because we have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of eagles that are actually beautiful looking and flying. And they're not dead, lying on the side of the, from eating the poisoned fish. Yeah. So... Anywho, water purification tablets and bleach kill microbes. For chemicals, well, you, they actually get to add some. Not toxic ones, but somewhat unpleas- unpleasant tasting ones. And for heavy metals, they do not a thing. So, again, that's a good microbe solution, but it's only a microbe solution. Now, we've talked about this a couple of times before on podcasts, but here's something else to consider. 
if you're stuck in a situation where you're having to get water out of the ditch or out of somebody's backyard pond or something like that, know where you're getting it from and know what's been put on the ground. If you're in a bug-in situation, the chemicals people use in their yard can be extremely dangerous to drink. Yeah, pull it off the ditch of that guy whose lawn is all ratty with dandelions and stuff because he refuses to put chemicals on it. Much better to drink his water than the guy with the uh, putting green. Oh, never. Never, ever, ever ever get it from a golf course. Ever get it from a golf course. Ever. You would not believe how toxic their runoff is. And we've mentioned it before, but people who do golf ball diving have to wear full hazmat scuba suits. That's just wrong. Now, then there's pool water. Pool water is kind of a different kettle of fish because it's got a lot of chemicals in it. And it's probably got some uh, residue of human waste in it, too, let's be honest. Right. Now, pool water is weird because, you know, some of that stuff is really toxic to humans and some of it isn't. It kind of depends on what you put in the pool. So if you're going to put a pool, do a pool, and you are saying, okay, that pool is going to also be my family's emergency water supply, because that's a realistic thing to do. Watch what kind of pool shock you're using. Yeah. Don't use the stuff that, you know, basically use the, the, the chlorine. Don't, or is it chlorine or chloride? Chlorine. Chlorine. Okay. I get, I get confused. Chloride's the ion of chlorine. Yeah, don't use the, don't use the one with all the extra, it'll kill you ingredients. Yeah. We're not, this is, this is an aside, we're not doing a pool thing. I'd also keep a carbon filter to uh, run the water through. To get rid of the bulk of that, because they put a lot, can put a lot in there. Yeah. Also, uh, another thing too, of course, obviously keeping the pool for non-potable. I mean, we're washing your hands and stuff like that. That would be fine. Yeah. But you still, you know, you, short-term be, flush solution works fine. I you say for washing your hands works fine, but you know, honestly, you will have some human waste in there, probably. Yeah, but if you've also got all the. Uh, if you've got the right level of pool shock and stuff in there, it's no longer going to be infective. Yeah, I, uh, pools are just kind of like, eh. I don't believe in 100% purification of water under most circumstances anyway. Most people are not going to achieve that, so. I kind of concentrate on what's really going to bother you, what's not. Right. Anyway, if it was me and I was going to have to use surface water, first... I'd have something that, uh, a kind of filter that I knew would get rid of everything down to viruses. Why don't you just always go with a filter that takes out viruses? The finer the filter is, the more it's going to clog up. And the shorter its lifespan is going to be. So you got to make a trade-off. But I'd make sure I was getting rid of viruses if I was using any kind of surface water from anywhere near a city. I'd make sure I had something to reduce the organic chemicals. If I can't do a still, then I would probably have a carbon adsorption filter. Those do need to be, um, got to change the carbon from time to time. And you won't really know when, necessarily, so you got to keep up on that. I can't tell you when either, because I don't know how much junk's going to be in your water. That still leaves you with a heavy metal problem. 
But heavy metals are kind of just a problem, and distillation is really the best answer for that one. And not having them in the water in the first place. There are other treatments you can do that will sediment them, and then you can filter them out. But that's a more elaborate kind of solution, and not one that's usually followed. If you do live near the ocean, and you don't have a lot of rain where you are, so water is a problem, except you got all this beautiful salt water, as long as you have power and support and stuff to run the reverse osmosis system, reverse osmosis is a good way to clean up salt water. But distillation also works. That's good to know, because a lot of people don't live that far from salt water. Yeah, most of the world's population lives pretty close to salt water, in fact. That would not be us. No. No, no. we live very far from salt water, more's the pity. Indeed. We like the ocean. It doesn't care one bit about us, but we like the ocean. <laughs> yes. Yeah, the ocean really doesn't care even a little about salty and or spice. So, okay. Now you have it. You have our thoughts. You have our opinions. So go forth and... Drink clean. Drink clean. And orange score cheese are just right out. <laughs>